If you have a Bible of your own, then I invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 4. We're going to read the end of this chapter, John 4, beginning in verse 46. There is a Bible in the pew in front of you if you would like to follow along. We are seeing here in the beginning of John's gospel the person and ministry of Christ, how he exceeds the expectations of God's people. He meets our deepest needs. The first half of John's gospel is filled with signs, with miracles, designed to show us who Jesus is, to explain to us why he came. And so listen, as I read John chapter 4, Jesus, having traveled through Samaria, now returns to the north, to Galilee. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our lives. Father in heaven, we give you praise. You are the God of grace and mercy. We see the compassion and love and power of Jesus on display as we read your gospel. Lord, let us hear this good news today. Father, for those who have have joined or who are listening online without a knowledge of Jesus as Savior, I pray that by the power of your Spirit at work in the ministry of your word, that you would grant faith to believe. Lord, for those of us that come burdened and weary with trials and struggles, those of us who come in desperation, Lord, that we would find your comfort and peace. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that we would follow Jesus with joy, with gratitude. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Cody Green was diagnosed with leukemia before his second birthday. He faced years of treatments. He saw his cancer go into remission three times. As he grew, he developed a love for the Marine Corps, the bravery, the history, the camaraderie of the Marines. A few years ago, at age 12, Cody's weakened immune system couldn't fight off an infection that attacked his body. 
Cody's dad, David, describes what happens next. When the Marines found out he was in the hospital again, they decided Cody, with the strength and honor and courage he showed through the whole thing, he should be made a Marine. Cody was presented with Marine navigator wings and made an honorary member of the Marine Corps. A few days later, the Marines received a call again from Cody's dad that he wouldn't live much longer. One Marine, Sergeant Mark Dolfini, began the drive to the hospital. He didn't know what he would say that could bring comfort to the family, but he felt like he should be there. By the time he arrived, Cody was no longer conscious. And so Sergeant Dolfini made the decision to honor the family by standing guard outside Cody's door that final night. He admits that seeing the family enter to say their final goodbyes was difficult. But he says his most emotional moment came a week later at Cody's funeral. He stepped to the front of the casket and saluted the casket. He says, then I turned right to Tracy, Cody's mom. We looked straight into each other's eyes and I saluted her and that was hard. It was the most difficult thing I've encountered. The tragedy of a sick and dying child can be emotionally crushing. We read a news report like this and we feel the pain of the parents. We admire the response of the Marines to, to protect a child, to honor a family's suffering, to pray for a life to be spared. In John 4, as Jesus returns to Galilee, a desperate father comes to him. We're told in John 4, verse 46, that at Capernaum, a city on the Sea of Galilee, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, we, we know something by looking at the root word official. He's part of the royal entourage. It's, it's the word that would describe somebody who is close to the king. Not necessarily a member of the royal family biologically, but one of the royals, one of the entourage of the king. He is likely connected to the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, the Herod who will be the one who beheads John, the Herod who will oversee the death of Jesus. He's not officially called a king because Caesar withheld the formal title from him, but unofficially he is historically, both in that time and today, referred to as King Herod. And so this official is a man with wealth and power. He is connected to the elites. He has connections not just to the power in Galilee, but the power in Jerusalem, and even the power which emanates from the, the seat of the empire, from Rome itself. And yet, in the face of his son's illness, he is helpless. And so he travels from Capernaum, the 20 or so miles to Cana, to find Jesus. Now, we know something about Cana because 
Back in chapter 2, we saw the first of Jesus' miracles at the wedding feast in Cana. Now, if you, for, if you weren't here a few weeks ago when we read that passage or you forgot, well, John is nice enough to remind us in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. Now, the official doesn't know about this miracle. He hasn't shown up to thinking that, that maybe Cana is a, is a place of miraculous power because, remember, only the disciples, only the servants knew that the miracle had taken place. Even the master of the feast at the wedding, the bridegroom himself, didn't know a miracle had taken place. They just knew that there was still good wine at the end of the party, the best wine at the end of the party. See, the father travels because he hears that Jesus is back in Galilee. There were those that had traveled down for the feast with Jesus. They've come back. Word is spreading. He's likely heard about what Jesus did in, in overthrowing the tables in the temple and driving out those that were, were selling in, in God's house. He knows something of Jesus' power and authority. And so he comes, hoping, believing that Jesus will be able to help his son. And so the request of this father is simple. Look again at verse 47. When this man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, to you and I, having read the whole gospel, having read, if you were reading through your Bible reading plan, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well, before this, you know that this is the kind of request that Jesus has the power to respond to. You and I anticipate that this is the very reason for which Jesus came, that he announced he was coming to heal those that were sick. But, but remember, the only miracle that we have seen so far in the Gospel of John, the only miracle that, that has already taken place is the miracle of turning water into wine, a miracle that, that's not even widely known. And yet this man understands there's something significant about Jesus and his power and his authority. And maybe he's tried every other remedy that money can buy. Maybe he has, has taken his son to the, the, the best hospitals that, that Judea and, and, and Galilee have to offer. Maybe he's at the very end of, of himself, and so he thinks, well, well, what could it hurt? I need a miracle at this point. And Jesus is the closest thing I can find to somebody who might be able to do this. And yet he comes to Jesus with a direct request. He comes... He asks him, come down and heal his son. Come down from Cana, down to the Sea of Galilee. And you, you always head down to the Sea of Galilee. It's more than 600 feet below sea level. So everything goes down to the Sea of Galilee, which then flows down even further to the earth's lowest point, the Dead Sea. Come down with me. Heal my son, for he is at the point of death. The request is direct. It's desperate. And yet it's answered by Jesus with essentially a challenge. Jesus doesn't immediately acquiesce. Jesus speaks to the, the, the Father. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus takes this request of the Father, come and heal my son, 
and then throws a challenge, not merely to the man, although he's speaking directly to the father. You can look with me here. It, it's, it's a little harder to see in English than in the, the Greek that John was writing. Jesus speaks to the man. He speaks to him. But he says, unless you, speaking to all y'all, he says, unless you, or maybe your translation says, you people, he's speaking to the Father, but he's actually addressing everybody who's listening. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's a challenge to those that are listening. One commentator says Jesus' skepticism here about, about the people who are gathered is, is not about the Father who stands in front of, not about this one man, but about human nature in general. That we tend to be skeptical of that which seems unusual. We tend to doubt that which we haven't seen. We tend to believe what we already believe and doubt things that we don't yet believe. And so Jesus is addressing the crowd. The, the verb, unless you believe, is it's plural. It's clear he's speaking to everyone who is listening. And so the opening chapters here of the Gospel of John are filled with these signs and wonders. Verse 54 will actually say, after we see the miracle take place, that this was the second sign here in Galilee. Now, John doesn't keep a running count of the miracles that take place, and by the end of the book, he'll say there are so many you couldn't count them. But he's, he's reminding us that these signs are actually meant to do something. But Jesus is challenging the people. What would it take for you to believe? How big of a miracle would you need to see? How about water into wine? Would that work? Would you believe if you saw that kind of miracle? And it's a, it's a, it's a challenge then that, that John, the gospel writer, lays before us as the readers, as the listeners to this gospel. What would it take for you to believe? Because maybe you've walked in here today or you're listening or you've been dragged along by mom or dad and you're, you're forced to sit and listen to the reading and preaching of God's word. What would it take for you to believe? For some of us, that we, we, we essentially say, well, there's, there's really nothing. I just know it's all nonsense. It's, it's fairy tales. It's fables. The, the, the science of the world in which I live makes, makes nonsense of, of all that I, that I read in the scriptures. So you've walked in deciding that, that there's nothing that could be evidence that could change your mind about who Jesus is. Well, maybe it would be more open-minded. Maybe it would be more honest to say the world is big and complicated. I don't think I yet fully understand all of it. And so maybe we can listen to Jesus. Maybe his challenge is not, not really to this Father, but to you and to me. See, the people in Cana and Galilee are demanding signs, wonders, miraculous events that they could see with their own eyes. And yet, look at the response again, the plea of this father in verse 49. He's not demanding signs and wonders. Look at what he says. Sir, come down before my child dies. He just repeats the same request that he'd already made. No, no, I don't need a miracle here. Like, I don't need you to do a miracle before I can believe that you will do a miracle. I believe you can do the miracle, so come and please perform the miracle. 
He wasn't demanding signs and wonders. Jesus is challenging the crowd. He's challenging us. This father's plea comes immediately. No, come now before my child dies. Even the language that he uses here, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. That sir is the same word that that later in this gospel will clearly be translated as Lord. It's a word that had a broad enough semantic range, a broad enough use that, that you could use it in ordinary conversation as sir. But in Christian theology, it becomes attached to the name Jesus, so he becomes the Lord Jesus Christ. So the same phrase when, when Jesus arrives in Bethany in John chapter 11, and Mary and Martha each speak to Jesus. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. It's the same word, sir, if you had been here. But by John chapter 11, because of the relationship that, that Martha and her sister Mary, Mary repeats the very same phrase, sir, if you had been here. Lord, if you had been here. But because of the relationship and because of, of where we are in the gospel by John 11, our, our English translators make it clear for us. Jesus is Lord. It's the same word that the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, used in, back in, in, in our own chapter, chapter 4, verse 15, when she said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water. She doesn't yet have faith, and so it's just a polite term. And yet, in using this, this term, which, which can be just a polite sir, but becomes a, a theologically rich word that describes who Jesus is and all his power and authority, the, the, the gospel writer himself is forcing us to wrestle with that ambiguity. Is Jesus just a nice teacher, somebody you'd call sir? Or is Jesus the Lord of all? John is forcing us to consider the power of Jesus. Now, you and I anticipate the outcome. We know what's going to happen. Even if you forgot this specific story, you know that there are stories like this when a, when a woman comes and asks for healing for her son, when a, when a centurion in one of the other gospels arrives and asks for help. So even if you'd forgotten that, that this exact miracle fit here in the gospel of John, you anticipate the outcome. Yes, Jesus has the power to heal. And so Jesus, in response to this repeated plea, the, the desperation of the Father, come now, before my son dies. The journey has already taken me long to get here. We have to get back to Capernaum. So come now. Jesus, in verse 50, says to the man, go, your son will live. With his words, Jesus can heal. There's no magic incantation. There's no need to, to, to throw on the lights and sirens and rush down to Capernaum. No, with a word, Jesus has the power to heal a dying son. Go, your son will live. Now, Jesus knows that there are some in the crowd that would say, well, well, wait, give us some proof that you have power to say this thing. We want, a, we want a miracle here to know that you could do a miracle there. They want signs and wonders. There would be some who would doubt the miracle of Jesus. 
Even today, some that would say, well, you know, I mean, there are coincidences that happen. Jesus says something and, you know, the kid got better anyway. But Jesus has power as the Lord of all over life and death. And the father doesn't doubt. Look, look at the, the father's response. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He wasn't demanding signs. He was willing to believe his words. And that's what John wants us to understand. As those who have not witnessed the miracles directly, we have something even greater the word confirming the truth of those miracles. The declaration from Jesus himself that this is true. The very word of God given to us that this is what has taken place. Because the, the gospel writer understands that you and I will hesitate to believe. That you and I, we're not taking a blind leap of faith into nonsense. That we're actually asking, is there, is there something here that I can step out onto? Is this true. But, it's, but, but we determine the truth not by whether or not we could figure it out or it, or it made sense in our own worldview. We, we, we determine its truth based on the very words of Jesus. Because think of the, the end of this gospel. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, when Thomas isn't with the other 11, when Jesus appears to them on that first Easter, and so, so the disciples tell tell Thomas that we have seen Jesus. And what's he say? This is John chapter 20. He says, unless I see his hand, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He wants some evidence. And so what happens a week later, a week after Easter, Thomas is now with the disciples, and Jesus appears and announces peace to them. Without hearing Thomas again repeat the, the phrase that I won't believe unless I can, can, can touch the nail marks, unless I can put my hand where the, where the spear pierced his side, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then at, here at the end of the gospel, we have the great climax where we finally have the full declaration of who Jesus is in the words of the one who had doubted but now believes. Believing, Thomas announces, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, and then says to us through this gospel, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. See, Thomas is the one who gives the great declaration in his faith, my Lord and my God. But it's here in John chapter 4 that we have the, the pattern of what faith really looks like. Without seeing the miracle yet, you hear the words of Jesus and so you believe his words. This father is one who was blessed having not yet seen, and yet he believed. 
We have here the faith of this father who hears the words of Jesus and trusts his truth. Then as the story unfolds in John 4, we have the confirmation of what has taken place. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident that the son got better. But as the father is going down, his servants meet him, probably leaving at the moment of the the son's recovery, coming up to Cana to meet him on the road. They tell him that his son is now recovering. He is alive. And so he asks, well, when did this happen? And they look at their watches and they tell him the exact time. It was yesterday at one o'clock. Well, that's the very moment that Jesus spoke those words, your son will live. The father believed and he sees now the confirmation in the miracle. The miracle then becomes a sign which confirms that what Jesus had said is true. So you and I are in a better position than the father was to believe what the father heard. The father believed upon the words and the authority of Jesus, which you and I have announced to us right here. Jesus says, your son will live, and we believe. But we have even more than that because we have the confirmation that comes the next day, that the son really did live, that he really was healed at the very moment, at the same hour that Jesus spoke the words. The fever then left the son. The, the father has such confidence in the words of Jesus that all of this takes place the next day. If he had rushed downhill, he could have made it there that night. And yet, he doesn't meet them on the road until the next morning because there's no panic in the response of faith. He doesn't have to rush home to try and to try and bring comfort to his son, he knows that the miracle is guaranteed by Jesus. And so the father, verse 53, tells us, knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. The father believed and now with the miracle, with the sign, with the testimony that this is what took place I went to Jesus, and Jesus announced the miracle. At the same moment he announced the miracle is when you saw the miracle take place. And now everyone in the household believes, which certainly includes this son and probably includes his mother, and and likely extends to other family members and even the servants of the household, now putting their trust in Jesus. And so this is a call for us to believe in Jesus, to see his power, to see him at work. If you have trouble, if you have doubts, you can bring them to Jesus. That's what this father does. He hurries from Capernaum to Cana to request help from his father. See, affliction, when you face suffering in life, it it, it can either push you further away from God as you get angry at God for what has taken place, or it can, it can draw you into deeper relationship with God if you bring him your pain. Charles Spurgeon, the, the 19th century prince of the 
pulpit in London. He, 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 in, in preaching on this passage, he says what, what begins as a little spark of faith. The father coming and asking for help. By the end of the chapter is a, is a roaring flame that spreads beyond this one man, even into his own household. Because they see the power at work through Jesus. It's a reminder to us that once you have seen the grace of God, that you have the joy of sharing it with others. Can you believe what Jesus has done? Have you heard this good news? That my sins have been forgiven. And so it's a call for us to believe, a call for us to share this good news. So the moment of the miracle is when Jesus says, your son will live. And it seems an easy thing for Jesus to say. And really, in comparison to the great power which created the heavens and the earth, perhaps it really is a simple statement for Jesus to remove one fever from one child in one small town. And yet, what does it really cost? Where do we see Jesus' great power? When Jesus says, your son will live, it's because he knows his own father can make that promise to us. He can say, you will live, your son will live because my son will die. The life that Jesus offers here is offered through his own death. Because as we've seen in in Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, he's not talking merely about physical life and death through this gospel. The fact that this is the next story we hear after Jesus offers living water is a reminder to us that we're talking not merely about our physical bodies, but about our spiritual lives. In John chapter 3, as Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, we, we hear the announcement of God's love, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And after Jesus announces the, the hope to, to Thomas at the end of the gospel, we're told that there are, that there's, there are so many signs that, that Jesus did that, that they haven't been written down. But these are written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. See, life is offered to each one of us today. Not just the physical healing from sickness, but the miraculous transformation, the spiritual life, a new birth that is given. Because on the cross, Jesus willingly dies. God sacrifices his own son. And in the death of Jesus, your sins are forgiven if you believe, if you confess your sins, if you put your trust in him. And yet it's in the great miracle at the end of this book this miracle here in Cana is a great miracle for this family. It's a miracle to, the, to those listening would be confirmation of Jesus' power and authority, that this is really the sign, as one commentator says, of, of Jesus' power to give life. But each of the little miracles in the gospel is just pointing us forward to the great miracle which comes after God sacrifices his own son when we have the resurrection of Jesus. 
your son will live. The son of God has been raised from the dead, and so your son will live. You can have faith if you've put your faith in Jesus the Savior, eternal life offered to you today by the miracle worker in Cana who can heal a son with a word, with just the phrase, go, your son will live. The invitation for you is to come to Jesus, to find your hope, your salvation, your strength in the Savior, eternal life offered to us today. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the work of Jesus, our Savior, for his response in a time of desperation to this Father from Capernaum. Lord, I pray that in, in hearing the truth of your word and in, in hearing it announced by Jesus himself, that we who listen to your word would have the faith to believe that we will be comforted by this gospel message. Lord, that we would put our trust in Jesus as the Savior, as our Lord, our Rescuer, our King. So, Lord, we come giving you praise, declaring that Jesus has all the power and authority even to raise the sick, to heal the sick, and to raise the dead. Because he died and he rose again, we put our trust in him Amen.